In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our sermon text is our epistle reading. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Amen. According to what we heard today in our epistle, we should have been rejoicing, or more accurately, boasting a lot for and over the last year. Paul says we should boast in our sufferings, our tribulations. Consider all the various sufferings we had last year. Many people don't want to remember last year. They want a better year this year. People want things to go well. They want good things to happen. And I don't blame them. For many, last year was very rough. Now our community hasn't suffered from the constant lockdowns and losses of jobs like in so many other places, but it has suffered nonetheless. In general, people interact less. Stress and worries have increased about what the future holds. We have been cut off from loved ones, either by choice or by laws or corporate policies. People face fear constantly. And some people we know and loved have died or been hospitalized because of illness. Uh, Plus, there were the shortages of some goods that caused concern and consternation. All in all, we faced a lot of troubles and suffered a lot last year. And to some extent, this suffering is continuing even as it lessens in some places. Still, this suffering has brought forth an increase in faith and in the spread of God's word. More and more people are seeking the good news of Christ Jesus. More and more people are looking forward to the new heavens and earth. More and more we see that we do not have life here in this world. Our suffering has reminded us that this world is not our friend. Our suffering has reminded us that our sins have wrecked havoc on this world and caused it to be at odds with us. Our suffering has shown us that life in this world isn't all it's cracked up to be. But not only has it given us insight, these sufferings have worked in us perseverance. You have endured this suffering. You've passed through it, not because you wanted to or desired to do so, but because you faced it. You faced these sufferings, tribulations, or, and challenges in faith. You faced them trusting in God, looking to Him for help and deliverance. Whether you face these troubles with a strong, robust confidence, a weak faith that barely hung on, or somewhere in the middle, you clung to our Lord and His Word. You faced these challenges in and with faith. Every looking to our Lord for deliverance. Confident that He can and will deliver you. This perseverance has been working to refine you and your faith. 
what you endured, what you survived while clinging to Christ and His Word has caused your character to change. Your focus has been changed and you see more clearly what is most important. You see what is really necessary and needed. Now some of the dross of your life has burned away. You've grown in your character. Your desire to live in and by His Word has increased. And so has your hope. Your refined character looks less at the world and its things for deliverance. You look less at the gods of this present age and world and more and more to our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that none of the rest of this world delivers. None of this world comes close to bringing us true joy, nor does it deliver on any of its promises. The world cannot give us what we need, nor can it even give us what we want. And while God may not give us what we want in this world, He does give us what we most need. He gives us life and salvation. He delivers us from the havoc and trouble we have brought on this world. He rescues us from the mess we have made and delivers us from the devil's grasp. God fulfills His word and promises. And so our hope is sure and certain. It doesn't put us to shame or disappoint. God has the power and will to rescue us and He has done just that at the cross. But still, despite our knowing this, despite our believing this, we're weak in our flesh. We're not wholly inclined to sin. We do sin. We give in to sin. We do what we know is wrong and what we know won't satisfy. And if we're honest, we see that we have many idols in our life. We have false gods which we trust. How many of us have trusted in man to deliver us from this pandemic rather than God? How many have trusted our own two hands and brain to protect us from getting sick or infected? Our nation showed its trust in man's ingenuity, in our wealth, in science, and in government. We were certain that these would deliver us from all our troubles. Some still trust in these. Others trust these along with trusting God. They look not only to God but man to fix this problem. And while it seems that our investments in science are paying off, many have died before we got there. Many have suffered harm. Neither science nor government can undo what has been done. They cannot bring back the dead, nor can they guarantee to deliver you from the next problem or trouble. We have put our trust in other people and things, but the track record for these is spotty at best. Only God alone can truly save and deliver us, and we have actually offended Him and caused Him pain. After all, we equated something in creation with Him, the Creator of all things. While we acknowledge God as God, we also put some of our trust, fear, and love into other things. 
we regarded our Lord as less than he is because we raised up the importance in place of other people. We worship God, loving, fearing, and trusting him. But alongside him, we also feared, loved, and trusted things and people in this world. In this way, we have become God's enemies. We have opposed God. You cannot have two masters. You cannot regard God as God while sometimes fearing disease, people, and other things as much as you fear God. You cannot claim to have kept His commands if you didn't do what He said because you were afraid to do what He said. The same goes for the things you have loved or trusted. Anything that we have put equal to God, anything that we have used as an excuse not to keep God's word or commands, those are the very things that have become idols to us. Those are the very things that have been competing with God in our life and that have earned us His wrath. We have become God's enemies because we have replaced him just as a faithless husband replaces his wife or a wife her husband with an adulterous affair. Such a replaced wife or husband is rightly angry and there is enmity between the two. For one, because of his actions, has essentially become the enemy of the other. So you are God's enemy. You have committed spiritual adultery in your heart when you put something or someone on the same level as God. You and I are ungodly people. We are sinners. We deserve nothing but punishment. We deserve death and destruction. We deserve to be thrown out of the household of God and forsaken as the piece of trash that we have become. Yet God does not do that. He does not throw us away. He does not abandon us. Instead, He sacrifices it all for you and me. He gives his own life. He lays down his own life. He goes through suffering and death. He walks the path not of glory in the ways of man, but of true love and goodness. He gives his life for the ungodly. He dies for you and me. He dies for sinners, for his enemies. He makes the ultimate sacrifice. This is mind-boggling. Rarely do people sacrifice themselves for righteous people, and a few will die for someone who has been good to them. But to die for your enemy? <clears throat> to sacrifice for someone who has abandoned you and committed spiritual adultery against you? Who has violated the most basic level of trust and fidelity? We can hardly imagine such. But Jesus is the one who does such. 
He is the one who dies for you and me. He sacrifices himself despite what we did. And through his blood shed on the cross, he saved you. He rescues you. He justifies you and removes your sin. He reconciles you to himself. He even comes to you in baptism to wash you clean and claim you as his own. He puts his name back on you in those blessed waters. He makes you his once again. He restores you to fidelity. He sets everything right again. Thus, you have peace now. Thus, you are welcome into his house. Thus, you can and do come to his table to eat and dine with him. You're welcome at his table because he has done everything to make you his own. By his death, your sin, your transgression, your adultery has been removed. And by his life, now you live. You are reconciled to God. That's you and I can rejoice. We can boast in our God. Look at what he has done. Look at the glorious goodness of God. Look at his grace and mercy. We now have peace with God. We're no longer at war. Rejoice with me for what he has done for me. He has done for you too. Let us then depart here in peace and hope with this boasting. For we know that he who died and rose for us will not abandon us. We're not left in our sins. We have life with him. As we walk and live in our baptism and as we enjoy fellowship at his table, Jesus Christ has fulfilled his promise to Abraham to be his God and to us, who by faith have become children of Abraham. He has been our God despite all we have done. He has forgiven your sins and blessed you by bringing you into his family, having placed a new name upon you, his own. He is our Lord and God. Jesus has truly rescued you from this world and fulfilled his promise. Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.